Welcome to Give Me The Loop Podcast with Xavier Marley. Man, this week has been crazy for me. Just an emotional week. And I've just been getting through it, doing what I got to do. I got some uh, tea for me for this episode. I got some good tea. So just clear me out. Get me ready to start talking about things. Start getting into things that's going on, not only in the culture, but just in my world. So, um, yeah, man, it's been just a crazy week, man. So that was Biggie Smalls, right? The Notorious B.I.G. or Biggie, whatever you call him. That was uh, one of my favorite songs by him. I did, I got into this deep, you know, B.I.G. bag. I got I really went deep into his music. And Tupac, too. I tried to have a Tupac little mashup, but it couldn't work, you know, because those 90 songs, they're really sensitive because they... It's all about the hook. It was all about that, you know, that that hook had to be good because, you know, they're rapping and they're going on. And that's just how the 90s was. I, you know, it's kind of ever since I started this podcast, I really got to see the difference in the music. You just sometimes, yeah, you could hear the difference. You could be like, well, yeah, that's the sound of the 90s, just the sound of the 2000s. But since I started the podcast and I really, when I when I really come in, especially when it comes to me picking out the music or whatever, I'm doing a lot of a lot of work. I'm doing a lot of listening, and it's it's all about the sound. Sometimes it's the lyrics and which part I'm coming in on, and everything is just down to a science, man. It's it's really a lot when it comes to you know the the work of art of picking certain music and certain sounds and you just see the difference. And I, and I got into this whole bag of uh biggie because his, you know, Netflix had released that the documentary is coming out. And I know everybody said, well, we've seen a hundred documentaries back in the day when it was VH1 and all of those type of documentaries. But I think this is different because, you know, it got a lot of D rocks pictures and uh, all of his, you know, his video that, his, you know, his best friend that was locked up for so many years. I got a lot of his videos and a lot of, you know, and it's produced by a state. You know, his family, his mother is still here. So I think that that's different than some big company like VH1 producing it. No, this is content coming straight from, you know, the source, his his mother and his, you know, his best friend and things like that and his family members. So I, I'm, I'm really excited about you know, that documentary coming out and I'm really excited about getting into it and, you know, just seeing his life. And I think it's cool because, you know, it's kids right now in college. Biggie has been dead longer than they've been alive. I think that that's just, you know, so dope, you know, looking at it from that aspect of how fast life goes and how fast the years go by. And it's just like when it's your time to live, you know, please maximize your life and whatever you do when you're alive, man. I did read that Wu-Tang, Giza, 
So you know Wu-Tang is made by RZA and Giza. So I think it's dope, man. He's coming out with a show on Van 66. It's titled Checks Boxing with uh, Giza. If you ever look on YouTube with Giza, because me, I'm a big Wu-Tang fan. Big, big Wu-Tang fan. I even got it tatted on my arm, man. So uh, if you ever look it up, you will see that Giza is really nice. Especially the whole Wu-Tang they're known for being chess masters or, you know, they're known for being really into it, especially back in the day and um, down in Wall Street area, Battery Park, when they used to have the chess tournaments and stuff like that. Not real tournaments. It used to be places where you go in New York City back in the 80s and the 90s and you get your money taken. That's how it is. You know what I'm saying? You be you be down there. You be thinking you're going to be a, a homeless man and come to find out that homeless man you know, was a runner up to a grandmaster or some type of shit like that. So, you know, I I think that I think that's pretty dope that Giza, you know, he's still he's still doing his thing, even though, you know, the music is not the same, but you know, he's still getting in his lane and, you know, he's not failing to pivot. And I just think that's you know, that's everything. Another tip I did hear that Pat Poosh, you know, he said he's retiring from rapping or whatever and he's gonna drop a project every month. Now, I'm kinda skeptic about that him like i just look at it like this nobody retires from rap it's not a, a nine to five job and you know i was listening to um dudes from earn your leisure podcast and they kind of made a statement about when uh corona happened and they kind of said you know when rappers couldn't do shows and the essential workers were still working that just goes to show you that you know music and Stuff like that, rappers and things, and whether whatever music you into, those are just entertainers. They aren't essential workers, and a lot of times in society we treat them like they are essential workers or essential part of lives. When it's really the guy at the grocery store or you know the family that's you know saving everything they got and. They they're all working. They you know they can afford not to stay in the house. It's those people who make you know things matter for the world and not necessarily entertainers. So I know a lot of the times we get stuck in this matrix of you know what society tell us what's important, but in actuality the normal person is important. And I think you know I think that's what makes social media or you know Instagram or things like that. I think that's what makes those things unique is because. This is the first time in history where you necessarily don't need a real talent to be famous or be known for something. So it is it is really interesting. And, uh, you know, I really do, you know, understand that. You know, I kind of was thinking, why don't rappers put education or lifetime health care in their contracts? I never thought it. You know, I never understood that. Like, why would you take all that money without making sure that one day when your health goes to shit and somehow you just a one hit fucking wonder or whatever the case may be. And you sign these, you know, luxury contracts that you make sure that you can go on and, you know, go back to school and do what you got to do or go to a trade school. Make sure the record labels is paying for that shit and make sure as long as they are here, they're paying for your health insurance and things like that. Make them invest in you. I just never understood that. You know, I see so many guys in the hood, and not just the hood, not in the negative connotation of what the hood is, but I see so many people in lower socioeconomic areas that 
you know, they they all are recording and I see it a lot, especially in my friends' uh Instagrams when they post their stories and stuff like that. It's like a hundred dudes in the studio and they all are trying to record that one song. Right? They don't they they're not really into elevating or being Nice, and I'm not gonna say that some some do have talent. I got my man. He's just he's a he's a talented fucking guy. But for the most part, a lot of dudes is waiting for that one song. That one song is gonna pop, and it's gonna feed their families for years to come, or feed themselves for for the years to come. I guess you know what I'm saying. They they are all waiting on it, and they all get on sounds. And I was discussing with one of my other friends how you know. It's either two types of people in this world. There is the first type of person is the person who they ride the trend, right? The, whatever the trend is, they're on. If it's Brooklyn Drill, they they're on Brooklyn Drill. If it's Auto Tune and you singing like a boogie, they're singing like a boogie. And then it's the other friends that are in the future. They they're not riding the trend. They're not riding the wave right now. They're ahead of the wave. They're they're looking for the next wave and. Whatever it is, they're in some experimental type of music, whether it's like Little Uzi or people like that. Is They're really into the experimental sound. They're not really in today's realm, you know, and I was telling him about that. And I was telling him, like, you know, you got to find out what type of person you are. You got to find out what type of artist that you are. If you're going to be an artist, you know, make sure you, you, you have something that is today's sound, but have tomorrow's sound also. You know what I'm saying? I just think that that's, that's really important. And, and to, to think about the future, to, to put education and healthcare in those contracts, that should be, you know, normalized and that should be put out there. Um, another tip on music, a, a legend, a legend, Miss Lauren Hill, the miseducation of Lauren Hill went diamond It have went diamond. So, uh, shots out to, uh, Lauren Hill. You know what I'm saying? She put in the hard work. I know she never made an album after that, which is fucking crazy. But to this day, she still tours and she's still doing her thing. So congrats to her. Um, a lot of things been heating up with Dr. Dre, man. A lot of things coming from this divorce has been crazy. It's been reports that came out that Dr. Dre was dating April Jones. April Jones was uh Omarion's baby mom, you know, that got caught up in the scandal in 2019 around the situation between uh Little Fizz, April, and Omarion, being that Little Fizz and Omarion was in the same group, B2K, back in the day. And how they were considered brothers at one point, and now Little Fizz was, you know, doing it with his girl. I don't know whatever situation by that. You know, when uh, Omarion went on Vlad, it was like, yo, Omarion was so unbothered, and he got so much attention. They was going to drop the screen tour, and um, not the screen tour. Screen tour did exist at one time, but that's old. They were going to drop like a. Um, Maybe it was a scream tour, like a reunion, I guess, whatever the scream tour. That's what it was. And um, yeah, so he got a lot of clout for that. And it was going to be big, but COVID fucking ruined that. It smashed that in between. It's going to be Yang Twins, everybody from the 2000 time period. Uh, and they were going to do that. And I thought that, that was cool. I thought that was really cool and amazing and things like that. But it just didn't work. Well, anyway... Out of that situation that came out now that Dr. Dre, they said that he's dating uh, April Jones. It was this girl from Love and Hip Hop. They said that she, uh, Monique uh, Slaughter, she leaked the information that Dr. Dre and April was dating. She got on Instagram Live and she dropped this clip right here. 
How dare you send a nigga to bang my motherfucking line to make one more fucking threat? Yeah, Dr. Dre. And I recorded it. Wrong fucking bitch. Wrong move, motherfucker. Suck my dick. You're done. I fucking recorded both conversations. You're fucked up the ass. You thought that aneurysm fucked you up? I'm the aneurysm, bitch. <laughs> so, for one, she sounds like my fucking aunt. I have an aunt that sounds just like her. But, two, um, I'm not sure how that situation happened. She said that the producer called her about the situation, was threatening her, but it wasn't actually Dr. Dre. And that, but she says she has proof that it's Dr. Dre. I don't fucking know. But I just know that the internet exploded yesterday about that. I thought that shit was hilarious. I thought it was extremely funny. You know, she called him a bitch. So I thought that was I thought that was really funny, man. Um pray for Dr. Dre in whatever situation he's go through. I hope he get through this divorce, right? So, you know, city boys we up once. So the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees was released, right? So Here's the thing about the rock and roll uh, nominees. It's not like sometimes you don't get in. So you got like L. Cool J. He's been nominated like six times. So it kind of don't mean shit, but I guess it means something for like first time. And I had looked at the list and it was a lot of people of color on the list. So I'm going to give a few people that got, you know, uh, rock and roll Hall of Fame nominees. So they had Jay-Z, L. Cool J, uh, Foo Fighters, Rage Against the Machine, Dion Warwick, Shaka Khan, Fila Kute, Mary J. Blige. A couple of more people I forgot the name. So, yeah, make sure y'all go look that up and see what it is. I don't know. Keep staying tuned for that. I don't know how it's a... Um, I don't know how they do their nomination, man. You know, when it comes to especially uh, music, culturally uh, music, whether it's jazz, whether it's, uh, you know, rap or whatever the case may be, you know, award shows have always been jerks to artists, especially in those fields. Even when it came to rap in the 80s, uh, I did research on that. They tried to give awards. They didn't want people to come on the stage on TV. Artists have always been fighting against award shows, trying to get recognition, trying to get noticed. So it is pretty cool that this happened where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, you know, giving their flowers to people like Jay-Z, you know, uh, Dionne Warwick, Shaka Khan, things like that. I think it's really cool. I think Shaka Khan, I think Fila, I think people like that should already, Dionne Warwick, they should already be in it because they are legends. They are legends and they have put in a lot of work, not just rock and roll or whatever the case. Because, you know, if you look at rock and roll, you look at the history of rock and roll, it was made by black people. So, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, always have a love-hate relationship when it comes to uh, award shows and awards and getting in and nominating and constantly making the pool what it is. It's a lot. You know, I talked last week about uh, black coaches in the NFL, and I didn't really touch a lot on it. I said the issue with the lack of coaches in the NFL isn't the actual hiring process. It's the pool to be able to pick whoever you want or being able to pick the candidates you need to perform the duties and do what you have to do. So, you know, I've always think that that's an issue. I think that we have gotten past a point where people are 
hired or not hired based on their skin tone. I think we're at a point where how can we put the pool to a maximized number so people, so companies or whoever have our people to pick from. So I, you know, I've always think that that's an issue and hopefully we move through it and one day, you know, people like myself become a trailblazer, especially me being in podcasts, get to that point in my life where I'm able to, you know, where my work speaks for itself. You know what I'm saying? So with Dave Chappelle. So Dave Chappelle got his show back. If you ever, if you look on Netflix and HBO, by the way, I did get HBO. First thing I saw on HBO was Dave Chappelle's show. So Dave Chappelle did get his show back. And I think it's great. I think it's cool. I, I think, you know, he deserves it, right? I think he deserved to be recognized for his work that he put in in his early career. But, however, he did some bitch shit to get there. And I know a lot of people might not agree with me. They might say, wow, why would you say that? You know, he, you know, they, they, they duped him out of a contract. You know, they didn't pay him. He was 27 years old. Whatever the case may be, I've seen every type of excuse why... Um, Viacom was shitty for what they did, and you know, I kind of, I kind of feel different about it every time. You know, what I'm saying I think Dave Chappelle just should man up and state what it really is. You know, he used his leverage to get what he wanted, and you know, that's some goat shit. You know, and I, I, I'm not, I am not mad at him. I am not a hater. I think that it's a great thing what Dave Chappelle is doing and he continuing to be a trailblazer, not only in the comedian space, but just in the art space, period. He's, you know, changing the way norms, he's changing the way things are done in art. However, I look at the situation differently. I feel like, man, you were 27, 28 years old. No one didn't take advantage of you, man. You signed the fucking contract. And when it comes to, you know, contracts and the way we do things in the media space they give you a contract and they say hey you're going to make this amount of money you have a choice whether you want to sign that contract or not sometimes when a show like comedy central say they have nine shows right they give pilot deals that's what they call pilot deals and they have nine shows and they say hey you know, out of these nine shows, two out of the nine actually go on and make it. They actually go on and become great shows. The rest of the shows get canceled. It happens all the fucking time. Sometimes before Netflix, you used to get off one or two episodes and that was it. They'll cancel it. No, we can't. They'll put you in a graveyard, have your show, you know, playing while everybody's watching the Super Bowl and that'll be the end of your show. That's just how it was, and you know, before the whole streaming service popped out. But you know, that's how it was. And I think that you know, Chappelle came on, and he had a few, you know, good moments, great moments. Uh, Clinton Bixby, Rick James, Prince. He had a great, great R. Kelly. He had a great moments on his show that that you know that brought him into mainstream because. Dave was already mainstream, man. If you know the history of Dave, Dave been a comedian since he was 15 years old in Washington, D.C. area. And um, Dave had just always been, from the time, if you go back and you look at Def Comedy Jam, 
Do your Googles, man. Dave has always been active and have always been in that space. A lot of people didn't like him when it came to him being a traditional black comic because he's not. You know what I'm saying? Dave is different. So I think him using his recency bias and him using how we feel about him now is, is great. Uh, you know, on a, on a standpoint, I do agree with Dave because you cannot put my show out there. I'm not getting no money off it, off the work I'm doing today. If Dave doesn't continue to do work today and Dave say Dave retired in 2009, they would have never put his stuff out today in 2021. No, they put his stuff out because of the work that he's been doing in 2017, 2018, 2019. All of that work that he was doing, all those specials is why they put his work out. So I get it why he's mad and why he's upset because he's saying, hey, if you're gonna, you know, if if you're gonna put my shit out due to the work I'm doing today, well, you need to pay me at today's rate. If not, you know what I mean, I could take my business somewhere else and take the clientele, take the fans somewhere else. So I understand him from that standpoint. But what I don't want him to do is fucking manipulate people's mind. Cause you got a bunch of kids out there on Facebook and on Twitter saying that no, Viacom is wrong. No, 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 no. Viacom is right. That is the deal you sign when you don't have the audience behind you. That's the deal you sign when you don't have any leverage. So from that standpoint, I think, you know, Dave, I think Dave, you know, kind of nitpicked at it and, you know, kind of manipulated the whole messaging and, you know, he got what he wants. So, you know, big ups to Dave, but, you know, that's just my opinion on Dave and the whole situation with him. Uh, Speaking to me with HBO Max, I watched a documentary called Class Action Park. It was about Action Park in the uh, in the 1980s in New Jersey. It was a suburb in New Jersey, and I think it was just a dope documentary, man. That Action Park was so fucking crazy. You know, looking at people get hurt. I mean, the guy he had—I can't remember his name off the top of my head—but he had all these type of innovative rides that just some didn't work, some did work. I mean, this is during a time, the way they painted the documentary, I could just, I can feel the fucking 80s. Like, I can feel it. I After I watched that shit, I wanted to watch fucking Ferris Bueller or something, man. It was, it was a real 80s fucking documentary because it showed the life of, you know, kids in the summertime. They get it on their bikes. They're just traveling, 50 miles to go to some fucking Ashen uh, Park, amusement park where they're getting hurt. And it's like kids run the fucking show there. Everybody, the the supervisors are all like teenagers, assholes. And it, it, it's just crazy when I um, when I look at that documentary, man, the, the, the sense of nostalgia I never fucking lived through I was getting in that documentary. So if you are a, a person from that time period, please check out Action Park. Um, I think it's class action park because it's I be, based on the lawsuit of, of them of the park being actually fucking dangerous, being the most dangerous park and uh, all of the world. I guess I never seen nothing like that. It was just crazy. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was pretty dope. And I also watched Judas and the Black Messiah, the Fred Hampton movie. That movie, let me tell you, two hours. In five minutes of just a historical biopic masterpiece. Daniel Kaluuya. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but if I am, man, more power to you, brother, man. You 
put in. I know he's been doing his thing, especially in American um, movies. When it came to Get Out, Queen and Slim, Black Panther. Man, Daniel, he's just putting in that work uh, when it comes to the movies, man. He's just doing it for the culture. I know he's faced a lot of criticism a few months ago about um, him playing black roles, African-American roles, being that he's British. And a lot of people gave him, you know, a lot of backlash on that. He, he had a perfect response to that. He said, you know, I am here to listen. That is all I can do is fucking listen. And we are in a time where I think 20 years ago, no one would care if he was British. No one would care. In the 2000s, man, we had Ildris Elba playing Stringer Bell in The Wire, man. So nobody fucking cared. Nobody even know that dude had a whole fucking accent until the uh, Takers came out. So it's just, I just think that people always got some type of think pieces to say. People always going on these spills, cancel culture, ah, da, 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 who gives a fuck? Um, but I think his example on that was just so great, man. He just put it out and, you know, he said what he had to say, man. If you don't like it, man, kiss his ass. That's how I look at it. So, man, shouts out to him. That was a great movie. Lakeith Stanfield, he did a great job, too. <laughs> Lakeith is so funny. Um, if you go to his Twitter, it's like the most weird Twitter, Instagram, his social media. The way his social media is very weird. But that's my guy, man. I fuck with him. He had a great year too when it came to uh, the photographer and a couple of couple of gems he dropped. I can't uncut gems. Yes, he was in uncut gems. He was really good. So yeah, I think if you can, please check out Judas and the Black Messiah, Clash Action Park. Um, those two is just it were it was really good watches. I had. I'm, I'm telling you, you will not regret it. Anytime I tell you to go see something. You, you're not going to regret it. I'm not going to tell you no bullshit. I'm just going to be real with you. Um, I did hear that Best Man have got greenlit for a limited series on Peacock. Um, if you know about The Best Man, that movie is fucking crazy. It's an adult movie. It's a real adult movie. I know we all adults here. I can't really explain it. I can't really explain it. But it's it's about betrayal and... Things like that that goes on between, you know, friends. And and maybe they're not friends. Maybe they are acquaintances. And maybe they're supposed to be friends. I don't know. But if you haven't seen The Best Man, go see his two movies. It's Best Man Holiday and it's Best Man from the 90s. Um, great, great 90s movie. Great 90s black movie. I just think it's, it's really raw and it should be seen. And, and I'm happy for them. All of the cast has signed up on board to be for this limited series. So... Hey, it is what it is. I will check it out. I don't think I'm going to get Peacock, so I might have to get one of y'all passwords. So let me know. But uh, on a news tip, Rush Limbaugh has passed away, ladies and gentlemen. The racist son of a bitch has passed away. Yeah, he was an interesting guy. You know, I have listened to him in the past. And when I was younger, I used to listen to a lot of um, radio and... I used to listen to him, Bill O'Reilly, and uh, Don Imus. Yeah, I listened to all people like that. I was always taught to uh, listen to people who you disagree with. Listen to people who don't sound like you. Read books you never saw before. If it's, if it's a hard copy, pick it up. 
I was always taught these things because it makes you culture. It makes you be able to survive in rooms with other people. And not only that, it adds to the essence of code switching. And code switching is something that black people hate to talk about, right? They hate to talk about it because it's a sign of weakness, right? It's a sign of you hiding who you are, you hiding your authentic self to appease other people. It's the moment when... Kamala Harris is on stage with Mike Pence and Mike Pence is talking over her and she can't get crazy with him or she's going to seem like she's a wild animal. And she has to say politely, I'm talking, I'm talking. That's code switching. It's, it's something that black people hate to talk about, but black people use all the time to survive, not only in the corporate space, but just in in life, period. If you get pulled over by a cop, you don't want to come off belligerent. So, you know, you you speak slowly. You you try to appease to that cop. So hopefully he won't take his aggression out and fucking shoot you. Who knows? You know? So I look at, you know, situations like that different and people and speakers like that because I feel like they paved the way. You know, he, he probably not going to pave the way for me in uh, a racial identity wise, right? Nine identity politics probably doesn't pave the way for me. But, you know, him having a platform where he was able to say what the fuck he wanted to say, it kind of validates a person like me to have a platform to where I'm able to say what the fuck I want to say. And no, I might not stand on the shoulders of white supremacy or white privilege, but I look at it from an objective standpoint when I say that sometimes things happen for a reason. And I think a person like this, when I, I look and I see the news online, they're kind of poking jabs. I looked at people's, uh, a couple of news sources are posting Rush Limbaugh's classic racist things he has said in the past. And they're trying to uh, villainize this man even in fucking death. It is so disgusting the way the media moves and the narratives that the media try to put out. If you don't agree with him, and this is just my standpoint, the only reason why I brought it up is because of the media standpoint and the double standard. Because if this man was a fucking uh, a, a Democrat, nobody would say shit. I mean, it's, you know how many fucking racist Democrats die all the time and nobody say anything. But because he's a conservative... It's a, everyone have something to say. And I just think that, you know, a situation like him, I, I just find it so disgusting that the media is using, you know, his death to uh, villainize him instead of, you know, not saying anything instead of ripping him down. Don't bring him up. If he's not an icon, don't bring him up like an icon. You know, if he's not, if, if he doesn't mean anything to the world, don't speak of him. Act just like those fucking statues you're ripping down. Act like they don't exist. Act like his legacy doesn't exist because of what he stand for when he was alive. And I don't think that he stand for uh, racism all that much. I do think he had loaded messages and they were they were hateful. Whether that man oppressed black people, well, I have no idea. But I do know that he didn't speak fairly. I do know that, you know, the things he said about Obama, it was disgusting. I do know that. I do know that I could call a spade a spade. 
So, you know, it is what it is. You know, sorry for the loss, but that's not my problem. Um, Biden did have a couple of town halls this week. Yes, he had a couple of town halls. It's pretty interesting. He has spoke over coronavirus. He was answering questions pretty much. He was barely answering questions. I mean, he was just saying every time somebody asked him a question, he was like, can we speak after this or talk offline? I'll answer your question. I don't know. I think. Hey, the guy is fucking old, man. He's a subjugatarian. He's very old. And um, I, I don't know. You know, I don't <laughs> I don't know how to uh, put that out there. You know what I mean? I just think that he uh, he has to do better when it comes to, you know, getting towards those promises that you put out to the world. You promise people two thousand dollars and now you're giving them fourteen hundred. And now the Congress haven't even voted on that shit yet. It's been weeks. It's been weeks. You promise things, give people what you promise. You promise the student loans to be cut or whatever you promised them. They're mad. Those millennials are upset about that shit. Those liberal millennials are very upset, Joe. So I just think that that's kind of wrong. I think you should, you know, whatever you promise in the campaign, give the people what they promise. Everything is Democrat, right? The House, Senate, everything's Democrat, right? So give people what they promise. Stop lying to people. It's not going to help anybody. It's not going to help people where we're going. We got people. I've never seen no shit like this on Complex, on Instagram. It's people, anytime they post anything about Joe, you have a hundred kids talk about where my money, Joe. Holy shit. Not only did COVID, you know, fuck up lungs to the end of time, but we have kids that are, you know, expecting free money. Free money. Some might need it. Some may not. I mean, but we have kids who are sitting online talking about where's my fucking money, Joe. So, yes, I mean, if if you're going to say something, just live up to it. That's all I got to say. I'm realizing how important information is. How important is it to put out good information, not only for yourself, but for the people that you talk to? People always are looking for information. Even more now than ever. I mean, people, if you put something, if you put a fragment of information out on Facebook, somebody's learning from it. It's not even funny. There's one person who's going to look at that shit and they're going to say, wow, I'm one sentence smarter or I'm one, you know, fact smarter or whatever the case may be. No one is looking for the real story. No one is looking for the real truth. Not in this time period. So, you know, I realize how how important it is, especially having a podcast where I'm talking for 30 or 40 minutes about a about a situation or a topic and how important being real and how important having the the right answer is out for people because people don't want to think for themselves anymore. People want to be told what is real, what is not. And they want to take that and they want to say, well, now I learned something, you know, thank you, Xavier, you taught me something. Now I could go on and I could be fucking president. I don't know. But that is the way society is now. So I had one of my friends, he had emailed me. He's a distant friend. He's not a friend that I talked to much, but he, he didn't, matter of fact, he didn't email me. He hit me up on Facebook messaging and he asked me about index funds and he was like, hey, bro, yo, 
what about index funds? And I sent him a ton of information, ton of YouTube videos, things like that. And I was like, hey, here is stuff on index funds. And here's what you need to know about index funds. You know, and this to this day, he have not looked at that message. He haven't looked at all of it. I probably sent him like 10 fucking messages. I'm sure his phone saw it. And he has not responded to anything or even look at the information that I gave him. And that had put me in this real tunnel vision of, you know, being careful on information that I'm putting out. You know, I've always felt like as a, as just as a people period or as humans, we should have a right to tell people things, you know what I'm saying? We should have a right to, uh, be able to say what we want and not, you know, and not feel like we have to limit ourselves or not feel like we have to be in some echo chamber to search for the truth, you know, and who is the government or who are the people in the government or, the people of these big tech companies to tell me what's true or not. And that's why I disagree with Trump uh, being kicked off of social media. Not that I really give a fuck about him anyway. It's just that I just felt like, damn, if you can kick him off of social media, there's millions of fucking profiles and pages that need to be kicked off too. So are you going to kick those guys off? I, I, I don't know. I have always had... Uh, uh, issue with double standards in our society. I have always had an issue with it. I just, I just think it's bullshit, and I just think if it's on the other foot, we're not going to react the same way, or we're not going to put any type of uh, pressure into making it better or making it different the way it's supposed to be. I don't know. I just think it's bullshit. You know what I'm saying? So. um yeah, man, I had gave him a lot of information on uh, index funds, EFTs, and, you know, things like that. And it, it's kind of uh, fucked up because it's like, bro, I had to, not only am I sending you new updated information, but when I send you a video, I got to watch that fucking video too. I got to make sure that video that I'm sending to you have all of the right information because I don't know. I don't know. You're going to put your hard-earned money into a situation. I mean, you should at least, you know, give feedback or at least, you know, give that that real response. You know, we are we are in a time where people are asking. I mean, today, Bitcoin hit 52000 a share. I mean, people are asking. That's, what is that? Is that really cryptocurrency? Is it digital gold? What is it? I mean, we are in a time where we are... Not financially literate, but we are asking for a sense of guidance on how to be financially uh, responsible and financially literate, man. It's we are living in a time where, you know, that is going on. And I just think that, you know, if you're going to ask me for information, you know, I need to put pride in giving you the right information as well as you put pride in get, taking that information and doing good things and great things with it. I don't know. We are just in a sensitive time, you know, where, you know, people are open to invest. And that's why I talk about Robin Hood. And I, you know, I put into question on Robin Hood and their ethics because we are in a, a time where we are so progressive in, you know, being open to 
crossing those lines where we don't need a fucking a broker or we don't need a we don't need somebody babysitting our accounts in order to tell us what to do as the right decisions. I mean, if we want to, we can find the right EFTs for us and we can find the right information, but we got to be willing to take that information back and take it inside of us and pass it on. If you can't pass it on, it's not worth anything. And I just think that that's just total bullshit, man. You know, it it gets me sometimes because I don't know. I don't know if it's right. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if it's right. I just know that I can be the best person that I could be and be honest with you. You know what I'm saying? We're in a time where we're having so much questions. We're in a time where our money is worth nothing. And the fact that we don't even understand why our money is useless is mind-boggling to me. Is the fact that schools don't take the time and teach kids why currency is important and how is it important and how we can reinvest it and how we can take it to the next level. I mean, it is just that simple. I mean, my man know-it-all, and it was one of his records, and I'm going to play it. He, he said, you know, if I brought Amazon in the 90s, you know... You'll be a millionaire. And I just think that that was so profound because it's true. It's true. If you would have had put, if you would have brought Amazon for $1,000 in the 90s, you'll be a millionaire. Why don't we all have that mindset to be financially, you know, free? Why we don't have that mindset to go out there and buy something and, you know, Take it back and raise the value of the neighborhood, raising value of property. And as the world become dense and overpopulated, you know, we are we need to tell each other, hey, if you could buy property, buy fucking property. I mean, we need to buy up blocks and make sure people are eating, make sure things are done, make sure we vote in the people for those blocks that we buy up, that they are constantly feeding and fertilizing the neighborhood so the neighborhood can grow. I mean, it's just that simple. Why in school that we weren't taught about fiat currency? I mean, it's just that simple. I was talking about last week or two weeks ago about how one day currency would disappear. If you weren't raised or you don't, you, you wouldn't even understand what I'm talking about. You wouldn't even understand how, you know, Nixon killed the American dollar because at one time the American dollar used to be able to trade in for gold. It used to gold was everything. And then the dollar was just a basic uh, a substitute for it. So at one time you were able to, you know, you were able to convert the dollar. And because we are no longer part of that Britain Woods system, we can't convert our money and our money is just pretty much Paper, it's fiat currency, it's paper, it's printed feasible bullshit. Why haven't we got that education in our school systems? You know, so people can keep up in a podcast where I'm talking about things like that. I mean, I was looking at the analytics of podcasting and it's like the, the black and brown community is very small. You know, it's it's just the, the numbers don't fucking lie. I mean, and more people with college degrees listen to podcasters. That is fucking crazy because podcasts is free. And that means that it's a free way to get more information to grow 
and grow and develop your ideals and who you are as a person. Why isn't that being done? I, I, you know, I just don't understand that shit. I, you know, I really can't get it. You know, we, we have to get to a point where we are comfortable with economical empowerment. Vice having handouts. Vice sitting on complex asking Joe, where's my money? I mean, we have to get to a point where we are comfortable with having that sense of empowerment. Or having that sense of freedom. Maybe I'm too far ahead, but I just think that that's that's where the future can be. And you know, we just got to get to a place where we're getting there. Um, I did pre-order a book by Lorianne Gibson. If you don't remember Lorianne Gibson, she was on making a band. She was teaching them how to dance. She was a choreographer in the '90s, choreographer in the 2000s. She still do private dancing and stuff like that. Yeah, she brought out a new book. It's called Dance Your Dance. So I did pre-order it. It it did release. So I am going to catch up on it. I will let you guys know next week what that book is about. Hopefully I get done with it in a week. You know, she talks about having that dream and manifesting your dream and going out there because a lot of us don't really have dreams. A lot of our dreams are other people's dreams. And, you know, we live in this fucking system where we're constantly trading other people's dreams for our own ambition and because we are ambition we think that well they're doing it well i'm ambitious enough i can do their dream no man find your own fucking dream and do what you got to do for you so i think that that's a good book i'm really excited about reading it so i will let you guys know how it is the other day right i think it was uh monday maybe it was monday during the weekend i had got into this whole rabbit hole of nyc mayors right on hot 97 with Isaac Wright. I don't know if you know Isaac Wright. So Isaac Wright is one of the guys from 50 Cent Show for Life, right? So Isaac Wright, he was in prison, right? And basically he became a paralegal. He ended up becoming a lawyer and he passed the bar in prison. And, you know, he pretty much got in a situation where he got himself free, right? Because he they put the guy on the stand and the DA committed suicide and things like that. So I, I've always been intrigued with Isaac Wright's story. Um, but he's running for New York City uh, mayor. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a little uh, skeptic of Isaac Wright. And it's not because I don't believe in him. It's because... You know, he's really progressive for where the city is going. And the city doesn't really care for progressive people. It's just, it is just that simple. You know, you, you want to, he wants to use all of the city programs and things like that. No, New York City is not about using up fucking programs. It's about putting money into programs. That's all it's about. It's all one of the biggest schemes in New York City is the fucking programs, whether it's a homeless program, whether it's, uh, food stamp program, unemployment program. It's the biggest scam is because those corporations, you know, they eat off the top and then everyone else get paid underneath. And that's just the way it is. I, I know that for a fact. And New York is really hard, man. I was working in Macy's and they were giving me like four hours a fucking week or some crazy shit like that on the books. Right. And they didn't really want to fuck with me on that type of level. So I had to file for unemployment, right? And unemployment at the time, it was Barack Obama. And, yo, 
Barry was giving out some fucking unemployment. I'm telling you, I was on that shit for like a year, man. I was really, I was really on it. And I was at the time I was telling him like, Hey, I got, I'm getting a job, but the job doesn't open for a year. They wanted me to go work at fucking Chipotle and shit. Like the lady, she was all nice. She was like, I'll buy you Crocs. You know, I don't know. Maybe she wanted to fuck me. I don't know, but whatever. All I know is they let me sit on unemployment for a whole year while I get my life together. And it's and it's cool. And I love them in the whole nine. They were great, great ladies and all of that. But all I know is they were bullshitting in that office. I'm telling you, I was sitting in that office and I would watch them play music. Bullshit. Lady told me, yo, listen, come back. In two months, I gotta go home. I got, you know what I'm saying. So when it comes to the programs in New York, it's it's not that good. Nobody likes to utilize the programs. Everybody likes funding for new programs. They create programs out of programs all the fucking time. If a program worked too good, they be like, "Well, we're gonna make a new program called, you know, one involvement or." One for all. They try to make the new program as nice as possible. It's really the same program. It's just a new program. That way they could get more government funding and things like that. So Isaac Wright, I don't know if it's realistic, but, you know, I enjoyed listening to him talk because his story is just amazing. I did go through majority of the candidates. Like, well, it's 19 candidates. I didn't. That's a lie. But I went through the big the big names that came to Hot 97, I really listened to them. I like listening to Hot 97 interviews with candidates or Breakfast Club interviews with candidates. And the reason why I like listening to them is because Ebro or whether it's Charlemagne or whoever, they're going to ask questions based on what the people feel. And they have to touch on the behalf of the people. If any of them come there and they go on this whole symbolic interview style People are not going to fuck with them after that. You're not, you're not going to be able to voice your opinions because the public isn't going to respect you because while that person was there, while that person was trying to get the black or brown vote, you didn't speak your mind. You didn't tell it what it was. So I really like listening to interviews on Hot 97 and Breakfast Club when it comes to them. So basically, you know, I went through this whole deep rabbit hole and I listened to Andrew Yang. I listened to both of his interviews. Yang gang. Um, Andrew Yang, let me see. He's media trained. And that's why I can't trust Andrew Yang. He's media trained. And I really don't know. Like I said in the past episode, I don't know if he's going to be the next de Blasio. I have no idea. But, uh, you know, he has this way of, you know, wanting everyone to eat, running every. He has this not really a socialist ideal set, but he do want people to uh, eat. And he did give money out a thousand dollars. I think it's. I think it was a thousand dollars he gave to people and their families and he raised money for that and he did it on his own a couple of months ago when COVID was going on. Even though COVID is still going on, but when COVID was like the main thing before the whole George Floyd thing, he did reach out to a lot of famous people and try to get money to give out to families that were in need. So yeah, he has this different type of appeal when it comes to running the city and things like that. My my issue with Yang is that he doesn't have that fire in him. And I don't know that that's 
I don't know if the city needs that. I, I you know, I have no idea. But, you know, uh, Andrew Yang, he does have the support of a lot of people. He, he is very popular. He does have that presidential election type of steam he's coming from. So, hey, hopefully it works for him. But if it don't, it don't. So I, I think when I look at Andrew Yang, I think he's going to be the last one standing, one of the last ones standing when it's all said and done. Uh, I did. I was intrigued by Eric Adams. So Eric Adams is Brooklyn Borough President. Um, Eric Adams was a retired captain, and he also was a senator for four years or three and a half years, and before he became Brooklyn's uh, Borough President or whatever the case may be. And he's been doing that for the last seven years. And I just think that you know he kind of threw me off a little bit because his. His whole thing was, you know, I struggled. And if you do check out the interview, he does bring up, you know, the fact that he, you know, he was facing a eviction as a child and that he used to have to bring clothes to school because he didn't know if he was going to get evicted. And, you know, he has this whole blue collar. I'm your fucking guy. I'm a New Yorker. I'm born and bred. You know, pick me. It's nobody that's going to understand you but me. You know, I've been doing this. I, you know, I went, I got my associate's degree. Then I got my bachelor's and my master's. You know, I rose from the ashes to, you know, to be your guy. You know, I'm a blue collar worker. I'm a New York City police officer. You know, I've done what I've done. And I, I, you know what? Shut the fuck up. Nobody wants to hear that shit, man. Tell us how you gonna fix fucking Rikers Island, Ock. Tell us how you gonna fucking do things for the people. Nobody wanna hear that shit, man. You talk wanna talk about struggle? You struggling now? You ain't struggling now. Nobody wanna hear that shit. Tell us how you gonna stop all the gentrification in fucking Brooklyn. Tell us about all those people who lost their fucking home, Eric Adams. And you was a cop too, right? Tell us about how you feel about defunding the police. Are you going to defund the police? Or are you going to be like Obama? You're going to be like Barry. You're going to talk about how it's, it's poor messaging and how Democrats should have better messaging and how Democrats shouldn't take slogans that come from activists. Are you going to say that? I don't know. I just think that it's some bullshit and I think that he should just be honest. Fuck that struggle bus shit. Nobody want to hear that shit. Tell us how you want to fucking revolutionize us and fucking change the city. Because half of the city's moving to fucking Florida and Georgia. Be real. Be real. We got an issue. Economically, New York City is fucking broke. Bankrupt. Talk about that. There's some real shit going on. You just got to be honest about it. There's a lot of billionaires in New York, too, that's hiding right now. They're in hiding. Tell us about the, the taxes. Tell us how the taxes work. I don't know, man. What you going to do? You going to take from the rich, give to the poor? Eric, Robin Hood, Adams. I don't know. I just, you know, I, I really look at him. I, I kind of sized them up because I'm like, man, I hear you. But what's your action? What's your long state of action? And you could disagree. You know, he made a good point. You know, he said, I think it was maybe, I don't know. I, I watched a lot of interviews. I watched three or four interviews with him. And he, one of the guys in the interview asked him, you know, how do you deal with, you know, Governor Como? Don't forget, Como. You're getting exposed right now. You look in the news, Como's getting exposed with that nursing home shit. Just like I've been saying for a couple of episodes, 
We know your secret, Como. You've been writing books. You've been profiting off people dying. How you saved them. You've been trying to save face. You're not shit, fam. You're not shit. And that's just the truth. Back to Eric. So Eric was saying, you know, how he w- he thought that instead of doing the cards, that we should do like an app thing where we put in the information and it notifies the person that they have to get their next shot and how it should be more, you know, digitized when it comes to tracking the vaccine and how many vows and how many neighborhoods is going to and things like that and how the governor and the mayor just did they didn't listen to him i don't know if that shit is true or not but if it's true then you need to expose them or what you want to save face for the society right you want to save face for the democratic party right i don't know if i can trust them that blue collar shit, that shit don't work for me. So they had another guy, right? His name is Raymond McGuire. So Raymond is the stepdad of Cole Anthony, who plays for the Magics. He's doing his thing right now. Uh, you know, I didn't really fuck with his attitude, man. He had this fucking snake fucking attitude. And he kept saying this fucking slogan. He kept saying that he's uh, he went from the streets to the sweets. He kept talking like that. I was like, what the fuck he talking like that for? Stop saying that. He kept, kept saying, I'm a 6'4 black man. When I looked him up and he was fucking tap dancing in the fucking interview, I couldn't trust him. He was giving me diarrhea feels. I mean, I looked him up and his story was fucking crazy. He come from Dayton, Ohio, and he was raised by a single mom and he worked his ass off and ended up going to Harvard. Going to Harvard and getting his law degree and shit like that. It was crazy. Masters from Harvard. I mean, the guy is smart. One of the, one of the top financial black men in history. It's him. It's him. He rose up the ranks of Wall Street for 40 years. He was head of Citigroup Bank. Man, this dude is smart. But yet, he get on a fucking interview with the common people and he talk like a fucking, fucking cunt. It is disgusting, man. It is disgusting the way these politicians... That's a that's a cold switch. That's a horrible cold switch. That's not a cold switch he's using to survive. That's a cold switch he's using to get by. He's trying to cold switch into... Having that black dialect. That's, that shit is kind of trash, man. These are the people that's going to save New York City. That's kind of trash. It's not looking too good. I don't know. I don't know who I should give my little endorsement or if my endorsement actually matters. But I think that they got to bring more to the table. And the more I, I listen and the more I, you know, I got to go look at the other platforms and see what they're saying. I got to go to Good Morning America and see if they, they got speeches on there, too. I'm going to do more of my research on them. And when I get more information, I'll let y'all know. But I just think that that's trash, man. I think that if you're going to have something to say, you, you, you got to say something that's passionate. You got to speak something to the city because the city is dark and it's gloomy right now. Not only is the city being hit by weather. Shouts out to Texas. You see Texas? No fucking lights. But not only is the city being hit by weather, it's the fact that you know, people are down and out. 
people are without work. People are doing things that they never had to do to survive. And we have to be honest about that shit. So no, I don't, I don't, I don't fuck that. I don't I fuck that jive turkey language that you're talking, Ray. Fuck that shit. Fuck that struggle bus language that you putting out there, Eric and Yang. Please, Yang, please be honest. Be honest what's going on in the city right now. Stop trying to sell people dreams. That shit doesn't work. We just came out of a, a Trump era. We raw. We don't give a fuck. Say what it is. Tell us that homeless people are, are fucking going crazy. If you didn't see the viral stuff of the homeless people being killed on the train by some guy. I mean, they took a picture of the guy and you can look this up. They call him the A-Train Slasher. The city's going crazy. Never happened before, man. It looked like the fucking 80s. So those are the people that's running for mayor, man. It's fucking crazy. I wanted to speak on the Law Series. We on part three of the Law Series. So this week on the Law Series, I wanted to talk about Andy Malone. Um, I was watching a podcast, or I was listening to a podcast on a French war hero by the name of Eugene Ballard. And look this guy up. His story is fucking crazy on how he came from Georgia and he ran away from the KKK, got on a ship, somehow ended all the way in Sweden or whatever the case may be, and then went to Germany and then somehow ended up in Paris. And then he ended up in the fucking... Military or whatever the case may be Fighting the war And World War One, And then he fought in World War Two, And like this guy was just such a A, a silent guy he, he never talked about his past He never talked about his experience And you know Hearing this story It brought a warm feeling to my heart It really brought a warm feeling to my heart Because I'm like Damn How can a person You know he was working in the elevator When the story came out because he uh, they gave him, France had sent him a medal, the highest military medal. And because he saved France from Germany, I guess, or whatever the case may be. Like, I don't know what he did, but he was the first uh, combat pilot, black combat pilot in France. So look up Eugene Ballard, man. I just think for Black History Month, when I listened to that podcast, I was I was really moved by that. Because I was like, man, this, this guy had faced adversity and... He never wanted recognition. He never wanted anything so far that he came back home as a normal person. And no one in America knew this was going on in France. I mean, this is before Internet and things like that, where you could where something could happen in fucking Japan and somebody in New York already know about it. So I just think that, um, you know, a person like Eugene you know, their story got to get out and people got to, you know, learn about that if you can, if you could YouTube it or, you know, his name is Eugene Ballard and it's B-U-L-L-A-R-D. That's his last name, first name Eugene. And just, you know, really, really see if there's more information out there. I think documentaries and things like that about people like that should matter and it should be, you know, made about people like that. Um, Yeah. Also, in that same podcast, they had mentioned that Harriet Tubman, she actually suffered from like not epilepsy, but she had seizures a lot. And she had these seizures because she was hit by a pipe by a slave owner. And I had no fucking idea. Like, I guess 
the, the slave owner threw the pipe at a little boy and somehow she stepped in front of it and like the hero she is, she got hit in the head and basically her whole life, she never been the same. And why she was, you know, getting people across the uh, Underground Railroad to be uh, free, you know, she used to have these dizzy uh, or seizure spells and things like that. And, you know, she was dealing with that. And I think... Like, fuck, the movies never mention that and things like that never mention that. And, you know, sources like that never mention that. So I just think that, you know, that should be put out there into the world that, you know, Harriet Tubman had seizures and not that she had a disability, but that she is a strong person and that she did everything she did strong. But she also had seizures and, you know, she got through it. So whatever you're going through, just know that you can get through it because Harriet Tubman somehow freed all of those people having seizures so that just lets you know that you know uh not just black people but people in period in general you know they they have a sense of warrior in them and you could be black white yellow red if you are a warrior inside you you can understand that story you can understand the difficulties of you know putting that on your back and going out there and doing it so i, I really fuck with uh I really fuck with Harriet Tubman, you know, after hearing that it really put a lot in perspective and, you know, we don't, we don't really talk about things or people like that, that really make a difference, not in school, man. And it, it just doesn't. And this is why I wanted to talk about Annie because, you know, we don't hear about it. So Annie, if you don't know, and what really got me interested in Annie was I had watched self-made with Queen Latifah. I think it was. That was Queen Latifah. And she had played Madam C.J. Walker. And in the show, or no, well, in the uh, miniseries, right? Madam C.J. Walker, she was working for this lady. They really portrayed this lady as a jealous asshole, right? A real jealous asshole. But in fact, this lady was, uh, she was an innovator. She was beyond her time and... Check out Self Made because, yes, it does send, you know, the story of Madam C.J. Walker into a new light because it tells, you know, her about her daughter's sexuality and things like that. I did Google that. I'm a big Google person, so if I'm watching something, I'm... I have my computer on right next to it, and I'm just doing it away, so I'm fact-checking everything. So, yes, her daughter, you know, they did say that her daughter could have been, you know... uh bisexual or you know or gay we don't know we don't know or a lesbian excuse me um we don't know but in the series it was painted that way so i just think that um sometimes with series and things like that we have to pay close attention to because they could taint history they can take history out of context and just for the story, because sometimes the story is good. It's good already, but you just need to twist it a, a little bit. And then that little bit can be twisted off so much that everyone lose. So um, this is the story of Annie and, um, you know, the lady that everyone hated and self-made. But once you hear this story, you will have a new respect for her. So Annie was born on August 9th. 1869 in Illinois. She was the 10th child to Robert and Isabella Turbo. Uh, her parents died when she was young and her older sister raised her. Annie attended high school, but she was often sick and missed class. 
Though she did not graduate, she did discover she was good at chemistry. Around the turn of the century, which is 1900, Annie uh, developed a hair product that straightened African-American women hair without damaging it. And she made this product kind of available to everybody. She eventually created an entire line of hair care and beauty products. Recognizing that she needed to sell her product, Annie moved her business to St. Louis in 1902. The city economy was booming, you know, because the 1904 World Fair was on its way. Annie was denied access to a lot of distribution channels in St. Louis to sell her products. So she and her assistants went door to door and often black neighborhoods giving out demonstrations and her business grew. After a positive response from the World Fair, right, because it came two years later and she had that clientele, any uh, company went national. In 1914, Annie married Aaron E. Malone, a St. Louis school principal. By the end of World War I, she was a millionaire and one of the most successful black women of her time. She was considered the first black woman Millionaire Malone was extremely generous with her money and helped a lot of black organizations and charity, including the St. Louis Color of Orphanage Home. Annie Malone established Puro College in St. Louis in 1918. The cosmetology school and training center offered black women a place to advance themselves. The faculty was also housed. Malone's business and served as a place for black people in the community to gather for various civic functions. Malone's multi-million dollar business empire was put at risk a few years later in 1927 when her husband filed for divorce and demanded half of her business. The high profile dispute resulted in a settlement seeking a fresh start Malone moved her business headquarters to Chicago in 1930. Financial troubles continued to follow her. The aftermath of the 1929 stock market crash hit the company hard and did a series of lawsuits. Despite the financial setbacks, Malone remained in business and had 32 branches of the school throughout the country. In the mid-1950s, she also continued to support charities in St. Louis. She died in Chicago in May 10th, 1957. Annie Malone was a pioneer to African-American beauty and cosmetic industry and has largely been overshadowed by the success of her former employee, Madam C.J. Walker. Malone's charitable legacy also continues to this day. The St. Louis Orphanage Home, which was renamed after her in 1946, is now Annie Malone Children and Family Service Center. The streets on which the center is located was renamed Annie Malone Drive in her honor. She was not only a chemist, an entrepreneur, Annie Malone became a millionaire by successfully developing and marketing hair products for black women all over the country. She used her wealth to promote the advancement of black people and gave away most of her money to charity. This is the story of Annie Malone. Godly, man. Yeah, so that was the story of Annie Malone. And 
like I said, I pick Annie Malone because oftentimes Hollywood put history wrong for the story. Oftentimes Hollywood trade was right for the story. And I just think that a person like that, you know, she had paved the way for a lot of women today who are in the beauty industry, a lot of women today who are just doing their things. And I think that she should be celebrated and that she should be loved and and we should know about her. You know, she should be in our history books because she mattered. So she is part three of our lost series. Uh, Annie Malone, shouts out to her, shouts out to everything that she's done. Because without her and Madam C.J. Walker, man, 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 I don't know where our hair would be. And that's another story about how my hair fell out and how I got alopecia. And I would tell that another time. I know I posted on Facebook and it went crazy. So, uh, yeah, man, this is the story of Andy Malone. Um, so that wraps up this week. Hopefully next week is much better. Hopefully next week is a better week, not only for me, but just for the world. Hopefully Texas, you know, get better, feel better. People get power out there. And, um, Man, it's just been a it's been a crazy week. We still having crazy weeks. We still are getting through this time right now. Um, if you need anything or if you have any ideas, if you have anything to take me to the next level, please, 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 please check the email out in the description. And, uh, if you are listening to me on a podcast app or whatever, a Spotify, Apple, make sure you subscribe, make sure you rate, make sure you, you know, that way other people are getting this podcast and that way other people are listening to what I have to say and, other people are getting their voice off. And if you have anything you want me to email and say to the public, I will, I will, I will. So, man, it's been real. I'm out. Peace. Sitting here thinking, weed puffs is frequent. Time moving fast, got me weak. Trying to think where all these weeks went. 2020 is crazy. My block was like the Navy SEALs. On the news every day, another baby killed. It was crack in the 80s. And today is pills. If you invested in band in Amazon in the 90s, today is mills. I get chills thinking buying your mama house in the hills. Shit is real. Gotta learn to grow my food, get it still. In the hood, we was quick to steal. Niggas with infamil on they breathing for millions of years. Eyes dry as clothes soaked from like billions of tears. Streets killing my peers, beating anxiety and fear. Harder than killing a bear with bare hands. But I'm getting through it higher than Zeus is. The boys, they shoot shit. Same ones that play duck, duck.